Welcome to Unfolding Words. I'm your host, Antracia Moorings, and this episode marks the wrap-up of the mini-series that we've been in on the Psalms of Ascent. And today, I'm going to be reading Psalm 133. Psalm 132 through 134 are all psalms about the arrival in Zion. So if you've been following along these past two episodes, then you know that all of the songs or psalms were sung as the people made their way to Jerusalem for major feasts and festivals. So this psalm is one of the psalms that marks the arrival in Jerusalem or Zion, which is which is also known as. So it marks the end of the pilgrimage and Psalms 133 is also known as a wisdom psalm. It's meant to pass on wise teachings. It's also known as a corporate psalm of confidence, where it's meant to help a group express their trust in God. So I'm going to read out of the ESV. And in my Bible, it's titled, When Brothers Dwell in Unity, A Song of Ascents of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mounts of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life evermore. This psalm is believed to be the final psalm of David in this collection. And commentators are not sure when David wrote the psalm, what the subject was surrounding this psalm. It could have been when he was waiting for a time to meditate by himself. It could be when he was reflecting on becoming king over all of Israel. This happened in 2 Samuel chapter 5. And during that time, all the tribes and elders of Israel came to David at Hebron and made a covenant with him. And they anointed him king over Israel. And this event, him being anointed as king, could have served as the backdrop for the first verse. Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. So you notice that the psalm begins with the situation. And then it goes on to a double comparison where it says in verse two, it is like the precious oil. And then in verse three, it says, it is like the dew of Hermon. And then it ends with a blessing. So throughout this whole psalm, unity is emphasized. We see the word dwell together and unity used. And we know that it's good and pleasant. But even more is that there's a heavenly response, which shows the abundance of God's grace on his people. When we think of the word unity, we usually think of a utopian. It's a place where we would see unity among the nations, among people of all different backgrounds, unity in relationships and in marriages and in families. But we live in a broken world. So unfortunately, unity is not a reality for us in every single area of our lives. Broken relationships are scattered throughout this world, throughout our lives. And they started in the book of Genesis. Ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, every human being has lived with broken relationships, either in their own life or a broken relationship with God. But there's one thing that stands true from this psalm, and that 
What is good and pleasant for everyone is Christian unity. So this psalm is a classic description of the beauty that exists when believers dwell together in unity and have brotherly or sisterly fellowship. I'm going to share a couple characteristics of unity. The first is that unity must be able to be seen. It has to be visible. In verse number one, it says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. This word behold is the Hebrew word henna, and it means to see if he sees or go. And it's used for pointing out people, things, and places, as well as actions. David here is saying more than just look. He doesn't want to to just notice the unity. He's pointing out an important occasion about how things can be when brothers of faith come together in a spirit of unity. And this spirit of unity is a rare occurrence in the Old Testament. We see a picture of it in the New Testament in the book of Acts, when all of the believers are gathered at Pentecost, and the new church had all things in common. This was a kind of unity that had never really taken place among God's people before. They had never really witnessed it before until the New Testament. So while unity was a rare occurrence in the past, in the Old Testament, one thing we know for sure is that in the future, there will be a unity that will be everlasting. This is when the Lord will unite all of his people in the new heaven and earth to worship and serve him forever throughout the ages to come. We see this in Revelation chapters 21 and 22. Another characteristic of unity is that it has to be desired by the brothers and sisters of the church. David tells us how good and how pleasant unity is among the brethren. Both words, good and pleasant, show us that this is an agreeable and a delightful action. Dwelling together should conjure up good happy feelings. It should be a pleasant experience because this is the communion of believers. There's going to be a like-mindedness among the people. They're going to be united in one heart and together for one cause. The writer of Hebrews said this in Hebrew 13 and 1, let brotherly love continue. And Paul described unity this way in Romans chapter 12, verses 10 through 13. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. When this kind of unity and oneness is desired among a group of people, David says, how beautiful it is. It's a wonderful thing to see. And this was appropriate. This was appropriate to think about during this pilgrimage to Jerusalem when all of these people from neighboring cities would anticipate meeting other worshipers in Jerusalem. And this coming together was like a fragrant oil that was refreshing. And the holy anointing oil for the high priest was this mix of olive oil that included four of the best spices. 
This is the description of unity that is painted for the reader. So David compares brotherly unity to that fragrant oil that Moses poured over Aaron's head when he anointed him as Israel's first high priest in the book of Leviticus. This oil symbolized the unity of the nation in their worship under their consecrated priest. And as the oil anointed Aaron, so the unity of the worshipers in Jerusalem would consecrate the nation under God. This is the picture that's being painted for us. And that oil that flowed down over Aaron's head and beard and down onto his robe and his breastplate, it was a breastplate that bore the names of all of the 12 tribes. This oil covered everything. So unity among believers makes them acceptable to God as a kingdom of priests, just as they were a kingdom of priests under Aaron. Same principle. And the writer of this psalm also compared brotherly unity to the dew on Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon was north of Israel, and it was the highest mountain in the land. And because it was the highest mountain, it was situated in a way that it would have heavy dew come down upon it. And dew was a welcome sight in the land of Israel because it was a very dry land. So any kind of moisture or precipitation would be a welcome sight. And so just like that dew that refreshed and invigorated Mount Hermon, so the blessing of unity among Israelites who were believers would refresh and invigorate Mount Zion as they gathered for worship there, as they came from all of their homes to Jerusalem, there would be this spirit of refreshment there. And another thing, another picture that should come up with this dew on Mount Hermon is that the dew came on the high places and the low. And so this unity, this picture of unity that's being painted for us is being granted to all great and small. All people would experience this unity. Did it matter whatever what your title was or what position you held? Unity as dew that falls on the great and small is what would happen for everyone. And this idea of unity is lost in the United States today. We are very much an individualistic society. We're all about the selfie and what we can get out of life, the position that we can get, the advancement and the success that we can get individually, whether it's for ourselves or for our little families under our roof. We today in this world struggle with this concept of unity. Now, I've think that in the Eastern cultures, they're more um, aligned with this idea of living in a communal group and doing what's best for the group because that's their culture. Unfortunately, our culture doesn't work that way. And as a result, our churches suffer from a lack of unity as well. This disunity has taken an assault on the fellowship of our churches. Now, we can see how individualism and consumerism has undermined the unity of our churches today. But we see that Jesus had a priestly prayer in John chapter 17 that he bases his idea of unity for the churches today on. And it says in verses 20 through 23, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, 
that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. We can't be one in substance with God, the Father, and Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but we can be one in fellowship with them, just as we are in fellowship with one another. This is the unity that Jesus is speaking about. He's modeling the unity for us in the relationship that he has with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. And that unity that exists should be seen on earth as well. In his book, Incidiary Fellowship, Elton Trueblood wrote this, Much of the uniqueness of Christianity in its original emergence consisted of the fact that simple people could be amazingly powerful when they were members one of another. As everyone knows, it is almost impossible to create a fire with one log, even if it is a sound one, while several poor logs may make an excellent fire if they stay together as they burn. The miracle of the early church was that of poor sticks making a grand conflagration. A good fire glorifies even its poorest fuel. So all that to say that we're better together. The fire burns longer and hotter when all of the logs, believers, are gathered together in unity. And when this unity is a characteristic of believers today, they bring praise to the work of God and as a result, enjoy his blessings. And when we learn to humble ourselves and walk in God's spirit, unity can exist among believers. So how do we live this out? How do we walk out unity when we live in a society that doesn't always foster unity? We have to remember that the greatest testimony of God at work in the lives of his people is when they dwell together in unity. Paul highlighted this point in a lot of his letters in the New Testament, and he urged believers to be diligent to keep the peace and in unity. We see this in the book of Ephesians. So think about how can you promote unity in the circles that you frequent at church, in your relationships, at work? Are you always the dissenter, the one who is causing a loss of harmony in relationships? We want to be the ones who can bring people together and foster unity and harmony in relationships. That should be the mark of a believer, one who can live in unity with other people. If you're always at odds with other people, then you know that you have some work to do. In what ways have you acted contrary to God's call for unity? This is a call to look inward, to examine your own heart, to see the ways that you're undermining unity wherever you go. And in what ways have you diminished the importance of unity in your church, in your small group, on your job? Just some things to think about as we wind down this Psalms of Ascent miniseries. I hope you enjoyed this look at the Psalms of Ascent and that it gives you an interest in them to go back and read each one. You can pick one for each day. I believe there's 14 of them and you can spend two weeks in the Psalms of Ascent and take your time, meditate on one each day and think of 
those people who were making the pilgrimage to the holy city, how these songs sank down in their hearts and how they became a reality in their lives and how they could become a reality in your life as well. That's it for this episode. Thank you for tuning in and pressing play this week. If you're enjoying the podcast, please share with a friend. And thank you so much for the reviews that I'm getting or have gotten. Like I said, they mean a bunch to me. Until next week, may God's word be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. God bless you.